This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. Hello, you sexy sat stackers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. We are coming to you a day early because, well, actually, we're coming to you almost a week late. I do apologize. I was quite under the weather last week and had a few uh, commitments come up and get in the way as well. Not to fear, though, because as always, I did manage to make my Wednesday DCA stack, and we'll cover that in just a minute. At the time of this recording, however, it is Tuesday, May 2nd, 2023. It is super early in the morning here on May 2nd, but May 2nd nonetheless. And we're currently sitting at a block height of 787,922. And Bitcoin is currently valued at 28,010 US dollars or 3,570 sats per dollar. And that is up. A little bit. Bitcoin kind of went for a ride the last couple days. It's funny because, you know, I keep saying if you zoom out and you just look at our DCA Wednesday stacks, Bitcoin has been relatively consistent, relatively flat uh, in its price. But then on the weekends, like, you know, uh, Sundays and Mondays, Bitcoin's had a couple of fairly good sized dips and then always recovered before DCA Wednesday rolled around to be pretty much right where it was the week prior. Sometimes that makes you kind of wonder, uh, hey, should I adjust my DCA day, you know, to take advantage of these weekend dips we're having? But that is uh, silly thinking because that gets back to the whole don't try and time the markets. Time in the markets beats timing the markets. And naturally, the minute I would change my DCA stack, uh, well, obviously, you'd be violating the entire principle of DCA because you were, your consistently, consistency would be going right out the window. But naturally, the minute you did that, then the dips would start occurring on Wednesday just because that is Murphy's Law, right? Or that's just uh, just how the work, luck works. You know, the the meme or the, the, the running gag on all the Bitcoin forums or Reddit or Twitter is that uh, someone says, why did the price crash? And it's like, well, because I just purchased. Or you want a price drop? Uh, stand by, I'm getting ready to make my stack. So that seems to, that seems to, that seems to be true. But that's also kind of the blue Honda syndrome. Uh, the blue Honda syndrome is where you never really notice uh, how many blue Hondas are out there until you buy a blue Honda. And then all of a sudden you notice all the blue Hondas or whatever type of car, whatever color car you have uh, is. That's just that when it's something you have or when you're up personal, up close and personal to something, you tend to notice it more often. So it probably really isn't that Bitcoin is just crashing every time I buy or every time you buy, but it sure it sure feels like it sometimes. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, last Wednesday when we recorded, Bitcoin was about twenty, about $29,250. So still not very far off from where it's at right now, you know, $1,000 off. But in the grand scheme of things, that's not a whole lot, considering how volatile Bitcoin can be, how notoriously volatile Bitcoin used to be, and probably still is because, you know, we often go through these these boring periods where that meme with the guy poking the Bitcoin with the stick that says, come on, do something, you know, it, it rolls around on repeat. 
every so often. Uh, and, you know, Adam Meister's 210,000 block theory or the four-year having cycle theory says that basically we're in the middle of repeating 2019 right now. And 2019 on the grand scheme of things was pretty much a sideways year. You know, it had a run up and then it had, you know, a, and then, then the price went back down uh, a couple times, one, one really good run up and then uh, went back down again, leading into the 2020 halving. And then at right before the 2020 halving and, and then after the 2020 halving, it began its up and to the right again. And of course, you know, six to 18 months after the halving, we've always had the explosive bull run, the latest, the next euphoric phase where Bitcoin sets a new all-time high. And uh, so even if that repeats, especially if that repeats, uh, we're repeating 2019 right now. So hopefully that does repeat because that means we're going to be able to stack a lot more cheap Bitcoin compared to what we would be stacking at if uh, Bitcoin sets a new all-time high. All right, well, real quick, it is uh, it is Tuesday, May 2nd, but on the date and time that we made our stack, when I should have been doing this podcast, it would have been Wednesday, April 26, 2023. At the time of my stack, we were sitting at a Bitcoin, Bitcoin block height of 787,145, and Bitcoin was approximately $28,954, or 3,453 sats per dollar. So when you look at, in terms of sats per dollar, uh, we're only about 100 sats per dollar fewer, or 100 sats per dollar uh, you're only getting about a hundred sats per dollar more now than you would have last week. So, uh, sometimes it's hard to get your mind wrapped around that. Like the bonds when trading bonds, when the yield goes up, the price goes down kind of thing. And when the U S price goes down, the number of sats you get goes up, obviously. Um, but when you're looking at price go down, sat goes up. Sometimes the way the human brain works, that can almost be like a mental tongue twister. All right. So uh, real quick, let's go over our stack from last week. Uh, as I mentioned, Bitcoin was in the $28,900 range. And when we did our stack, um, we managed to purchase an extra 67,421 sats for that $20. Going into the stack, as you remember, we had a stack of 6,308,898 sats at an average cost basis of $28,848.14. Wednesday's stack bumped us up to 6,376,319 Satoshis. And uh, at an average, that was at an average cost basis of $28,856.77. Because Bitcoin had been going up, that again increased our average cost basis by $8.63. So a slight increase, hopefully, uh, maybe tomorrow when we do our DCA Wednesday stack, we'll decrease that uh, average cost basis again. But in reality, all the average cost basis is, is just kind of a reference point because uh, in a couple of years from now, $28,856 is going to seem like the bargain of a lifetime if history even rhymes. You know, all we have to do is retake our $69,000 all-time high, and uh, that's, you know, that's triple where we're sitting at right now. Could you imagine any other asset performing a 300X and not thinking that was just insanely lucky or an insanely amazing return? At the time of the recording, that stack was uh, 
slightly in the in the positive territory. We had invested a total of $1,840, including a significant chunk of fees because we're using Cash App and they charge about two and a quarter percent. So we had even made up those fees and uh, our stack was worth about $1,848. So we were actually up eight bucks. That's probably not the case right now um, because Bitcoin is down, but who knows where it'll be tomorrow. If my luck holds, Bitcoin will have fully recovered by then and we won't get the glorious stack that we would have gotten had we bought when Bitcoin ducked down. Uh, well, just a couple of hours ago, Bitcoin was uh, $27,600 or so, so four or $500 less than it is right now. Of course, the big news yesterday was that the uh, First Republic Bank had finally officially collapsed. Everyone knew it was collapsing, and usually how that sort of thing works is the bank closes on Friday, then the uh, FDIC arranges a, a buyout or a takeover uh, sometime over the weekend, oftentimes late on Sunday night, and then they make the announcement and the bank opens under you know the new ownership or as a, as a unit of Chase or whoever buys the failing bank on Monday morning. So everything looks like it's just business as usual. Uh, that didn't happen Monday or Sunday. Uh, the FDIC had given a Sunday afternoon deadline for takeover bids. But they didn't make the announcement, or at least I didn't hear about it until later on Monday. And uh, I think that really spooked the markets all the way around. Obviously, banks failing, you would think, would drive the price of Bitcoin to the roof because that's what inspired Bitcoin, right? You know, the, the, the financial crisis of 2008, this is what Bitcoin was built for. But when people are scared, they sell everything. And Bitcoin is included in that, apparently, at least for the time being. Uh, so Bitcoin went on sale for whatever the, the case may be. Uh, but it appears to be on track to be pretty much exactly where we would expect to be on Wednesday. And that is relatively flat, at least until the, you know, the having, which is less than a year from now. So um, that was, of course, the biggest news to happen this week. Uh, every time you were in a, a bear market or a sideways market, Bitcoin gets gloriously boring. You know, obviously during the, the the hype phase, there's all kinds of excitement and all kinds of stories of all time highs and parties and and uh, fun memes on you know online. And then during the crash, of course, there's all the fud and all the bitcoins dead, all the obituary stories. And then when we go sideways, that's that quiet, boring time that all the OGs tell you is when all the you know the work gets done, when the maintainers have time to sit down and code and new uh, new and exciting improvements to Bitcoin are dropped up or new uses for Bitcoin or second or third layer uh, solutions or applications. So, And that's true this time around too. There's some neat stuff going on in Bitcoin right now. But more importantly, as far as I'm concerned, going sideways is the accumulation phase. And that is where you're getting one last chance to stack as many sats as you can before it gets so expensive that you know our $20 purchase is barely buying any sats. Uh, you know, it's not going to be too long before $20 will only get us, you know, a, a couple of thousand sets, 20,000 sets, and then 10,000 sets, and eventually only 1,000 sets, and maybe uh, 20 sets one day when we hit dollar Satoshi parity. But in the meantime, 
you have a opportunity to prevent having to kick yourself mentally over and over again. All that regret that you see people post right now and man, I wish I bought Bitcoin when it was only $10,000 or man, I bought Bitcoin when it was only $1,000. Or can you believe that, you know, so-and-so got into Bitcoin, he was trying to tell you to buy Bitcoin when it was only a dollar and I didn't know about it or I didn't listen or... Uh, you, you hear like the stories like Max Kaiser gave somebody 10,000 Bitcoin and they just got rid of it. And boy, with the regret they must feel. The only way to avoid regret is to do everything you can do now while you have the opportunity. It's not just that way with Bitcoin. It's that way with life, right? Life's only big regrets are the things you didn't do, the the challenges you didn't try, the 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 the, the, the vacations you didn't take, the Little League games you didn't go to, you know, that kind of thing. So this is your opportunity. Bitcoin being under $69,000 is like going to your favorite store when their once-in-a-lifetime clearance sale is going on. And this is Bitcoin's once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Now, of course it's not. You know, we've had these opportunities before, but it might be your last, certainly your last to get in at 28000 uh, because if history repeats, once we all once we retake that all time high of sixty nine thousand, you will never see Bitcoin below about sixty nine thousand ever again. Uh, this cycle was the first time Bitcoin ever went below its previous all time high after setting a new all time high. Of course, there were a lot of extenuating circumstances this year, and the previous all time high had been approximately eighteen thousand, depending on where you get your data, which exchange uh, you're you're looking at for the price history. But, you know, even so, Bitcoin dropped to the mid $15,000 range, but only for a very, very short period of time in June. Uh, it didn't spend a whole lot of time below that, so you could almost ignore that. In general, Bitcoin basically just went down to its previous all-time high in the general area. So if it does that again, Bitcoin shoots up to wherever it goes on the next new all-time high. Uh, when it drops down, it'll maybe drop down to 69000 Ish. Even if it drops down to 50,000, it will never drop down uh, to 28,000 again if history even comes close to repeating. I apologize for that annoying noise in the background. There is a perimeter alarm on the uh, location I'm recording at, and there's an opossum that comes by uh, sometimes repeatedly and sets that little uh, alarm off. And uh, so... Hopefully that won't happen again while I finish recording because uh, it can be annoying and I don't have the noise-canceling equipment that I normally record with. I'm actually recording this episode on my iPhone. That's how out of it I've been this week. I'm not in the studio. I'm not, uh, I'm not recording on the usual equipment, so I don't have the ability to clean this audio up. I found in the past that the, uh, the Anchor FM app or the Spotify app now uh, has fairly good audio quality. You know, the iPhone has a pretty good a pretty good set of microphones or digital technology for cleaning up its audit, your audio or whatever. Hopefully it sounds good. If it doesn't, I apologize, uh, but this is the best I can, I can do for now. All right. So I gave you the vital statistics in a nutshell. Uh, we spoke about where we were, where we are at currently. I know I didn't delve into the statistics as much as I do normally, but again, I'm, this is a hurried makeup episode just so that I can get Something out there to recap that DCA Wednesday purchase I did before we're on to our next DCA purchase in just about 24 hours. Uh, thank you for your patience, and I do apologize for those of you who had made listening to me 
on Wednesday evenings or two, or Thursday mornings your your routine. I know Leggy, when you boosted us one time, you said specifically that this was your new Thursday morning routine, and hopefully, uh, hopefully you will forgive me for not getting that recorded. And speaking of Leggy, I want to take time to thank all of you who are listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 apps. Uh, if, as you know by now from listening to this podcast or from listening to your other favorite podcasts, if you listen on Fountain or your favorite podcasting 2.0 app, it allows you to help support your favorite podcast through boosts or value for value where you stream sats uh, as you listen. And we do have a boost to read this week, and it is from Leggy. And Leggy writes, uh, in response to last episode where I was saying hello in various languages and apologizing uh, for not speaking all of them, uh, Leggy boosts 9,500 sats and wrote, The people in Luxembourg speak not only French and German, but also have their own language called Luxembourgish. Hopefully I pronounced that even close to right. They, to greet, they say uh, Morgan or Morian spelled M-O-R-J-E-N, and he says, parentheses, morning, all day long, or all day. It is pronounced something like Morian, so hopefully I, hopefully I did that right. So, hey, to you in Luxembourg, Morian, thanks you, thank you for listening. Uh, for those of you not in Luxembourg, as, as usual, about 51% of you in the United States, so thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Uh, 13% of you are in Argentina, so muchos gracias, amigos. 7% of you are in Germany, so danke schön, danke für alles, mein Freund in Deutschland. Same goes for you in Luxembourg, uh, danke, or uh, hello, <laughs> guten, guten Morgen in this case, which would be Morgen uh, or Morien in, in Luxembourgish, even though it is uh, not usually morning when I'm recording, so it's appropriate, and, uh, and uh, well, it's, it's always appropriate because that's what they say. But it's also appropriate to say morning because good morning. Uh, number five, three percent of you are listening from Colombia. Again, muchos gracias. Two percent of you are listening from Sweden. I do apologize. Maybe someone from Sweden can let us know how to say hello in Swedish. Two percent of you are listening from Canada. Two per, two percent of you are listening from Spain. Two percent of you are listening from Venezuela, and one percent of you are listening from the United Kingdom. So thanks again to all of you out there. And uh, hopefully I'll get around to learning how to say thank you or hello in some more, some more of these languages, because that's really cool. It is really cool to know that Bitcoin is, is global, that it's, it really is for everybody everywhere. And a lot of people in the United States, especially the no-coiners that are, you know, they, they don't see a use case for Bitcoin or they, they, don't, they don't, it's not that they think it's a scam because I think we're beyond that. But they think we just don't need it because, you know, they have their credit card and they're earning airline miles and they can pay with cash or they pay with PayPal or Venmo or Cash App. And they just don't understand why someone might need access to something like Bitcoin because they don't know anybody who doesn't have a bank account. Uh, And they figure that if they don't need a bank account or we don't need, you know, a, a bank in your back pocket currently right now in the United States, little they know with, you know, the potential default on the US dollar coming up in less than a month now, that uh, they might just need it sooner than even we think as Bitcoiners. But nonetheless, they don't see a need for Bitcoin in the United States. And I think that's part of the why they part of the reason why they blow off Bitcoin is because they've got a very myopic, a very centric view where if they don't need it, how could anybody else need it? 
But in Bitcoin, we know that there are places in the world where Bitcoin is a lifeline. And, and if you're like me, you'll believe it'll be a lifeline everywhere eventually. But even if it isn't, it's very important to people in a lot of places other than the United States or Europe. And there's still plenty of people in the United States and Europe that have trouble getting bank accounts. You know, if you're in this country in the United States, uh, undocumented, if you came across the border when you were a kid with your parents and you're not a U.S. citizen or a legal resident, uh, you can't get a bank account. So uh, there are places in the United States still in, in Appalachia where there's where it's almost very what you would call third world. Uh, people are very poor. Some there's homes without electricity, you know, very little education. Uh, and uh, there are people living in poverty in the United States. So there's a lot of people in the United States that have banking deficiencies. Maybe they're not unbanked, but underbanked. Uh, so it is helpful here, but the average person in the United States cannot see, um, you know, the need for an alternative to the banking system, oftentimes because it is so convenient for them. It's working for them currently. The only friends of mine that I've just persistently never been able to orange pill yet are my friends that are fairly wealthy. I mean, not just well off, but well above well off. And, you know, it's like with Jamie Dimon or the other bankers that don't like Bitcoin. People think, how can they not see the value of Bitcoin? You know, they're, they're smart, right? They know about economics and money. They should, of all people, should know. And maybe they do. Maybe if some of it's that they're they're protecting their own self-interest because if Bitcoin, you know, becomes the reserve currency of the world, if people start using Bitcoin after hyper-Bitcoinization, Jamie Dimon's out of a job, right? But even if that's not the case, my friends that I can't orange pill, it's because the fiat world has worked very, very well for them. And it's in their best interest for it to keep going. And it's not that they're in denial. It's just that they're very comfortable and they're very happy and they you know they have their investments and they're they're living they're living a good life and you know if you don't people don't like change anyway and if you don't need change um then you don't see the need for change obviously as silly as and obvious as that seems at the same time so anyway um you know the news continues to get worse in the United States and and I'm sure around the world with the banking system uh, Jamie Dimon and and the and the president of the United States, Joe Biden, have both came out and said, "This is it. It's over now, as far as the bank runs go. That this was the last collapse. That everything's better now. Nothing to see here." Of course, they said that uh, after SVB, you know, Silicon Valley Bank. They said, you know, that basically we were done. That everything was better now. That they came out with their new facility to keep to prevent bank runs from ever happening happening again. But of course, we saw that was only a band aid, uh, and and what is now the second largest bank failure in United States history uh, has occurred. And now three of the four largest bank collapses in history have all occurred, uh, bank collapses in the United States, have all occurred within the last two months. Uh, that's not a good sign if you're a fiat, uh, you know, a fiat banker, if, you're, if, you, if you rely on fiat to make your living. Most of us are not off or not on zero where you know we earn earn our living in Bitcoin and we only spend Bitcoin maybe one day, but at the moment most people are still mining fiat, you know, earning fiat in their day jobs and using that to convert into Bitcoin for for the future. But uh, for the people whose income and livelihood is derived because we are in a fiat system, uh, those days are numbered, and it looks like they're numbered sooner than later. You know that Bitcoin hitting a million dollars uh, in 
well, by June or July or whenever the deadline is, bet, the infamous bet. Uh, I've always said that I thought it was far-fetched, but if there was one thing that could make that bet come true, it would be a U.S. default. If a U.S. default, uh, and a U.S. default might not be the end of the world, but if there were anything that could be the end of the U.S. dollar, a U.S. default could be that trigger. If the U.S. defaults, the Republicans and the Democrats can't get together and find a solution. And that solution isn't necessarily raising the debt ceiling. The media and the politicians are saying if the U.S. doesn't raise the debt ceiling, uh, then we'll have a default. Uh, there is another option. Basically, what they're saying is that um, if, if, if as a person, you're out of money and the only solution to not going bankrupt is to raise the uh, – is to double the, the uh, credit limit on your Visa card, on your credit card – uh, when you could just cut back on some of your expenses, right? If you've got a really good job and you're making a lot of money, which the United States is taking in a lot of money in tax revenue, et cetera, uh, the other option is spend less. I mean, that seems like the obvious option, right? But nobody's even considering that. So it looks like all that's going to happen is one of two things. Either they raise the debt ceiling or we default. There isn't even a pretense of discussing spending less. You know, not not going as far into debt as they're going to anyway. And we're not even talking about balancing the budget, just not borrowing as much. And uh, I honestly don't think that this will be a permanent default. Uh, the Republicans will, will buckle or the Democrats will give in. Uh, something will happen. There will be a deal and the debt ceiling will be raised eventually. But if it isn't, even if they only miss the deadline by a week or so and the panic sets in, that could be what, you know, what triggers, um, what triggers hyper-Bitcoinization. When first we had the weaponization of U.S. currency where uh, Obama started, the Obama administration kind of really first weaponized fiat currency. We had the original Operation Choke Point where they were using you know, the access to banking as a weapon to shut down legal businesses that they just disagreed with. Uh, and they started using, you know, we've always had a tendency to put sanctions on our countries that we consider enemies, but uh, but nobody had really booted anyone off the SWIFT system before, like we did with Russia uh, because of the whole Ukraine thing. And then we this time we flat out seized their reserve assets, which were UN, U.S. banks, and we took their money. Uh, so that was a big wake-up call to a lot of countries uh, that started thinking, what if we run afoul of the United States? So you combine that with the U.S. just not paying their debts, defaulting on the money that they've borrowed from other countries, basically, uh, you know, selling them bonds to their federal reserves. Like, you know, the government of China holds a large portion of the outstanding U.S. debt. Uh, if they stop buying U.S. debt, that's the end of the U.S. dollar as well. So if the U.S. defaults on their payments, like if you had a mortgage and you just stop paying it, what are the chances the bank's going to give you another loan while you're already in default on your mortgage? They're not going to, right? So if the U.S. defaults on their loans, or on the, basically on their defaults on the loan, if they default on their debt obligations, that might be the trigger that leads to hyper-Bitcoinization. Personally, I hope it's not, because as I've always said, I want to stack as many sats as I can. I am perfectly happy with Bitcoin staying in this price range until the halving, because I don't have as many sats as I think I will need one day. I don't have as many sats as will make me feel comfortable. I want to stack as much as I can afford to stack as cheaply as I can afford to, because when Bitcoin hits 100,000 or 200,000, the number of Satoshis I will be able to stack will become negligible. The dollar value might remain the same that I'm able to DCA and invest every so often, but 
obviously the number of Satoshis you're going to get are going to dwindle. So that is enough rambling for this super early Tuesday morning. Thank you for listening and thank you for forgiving me for missing the DCA Wednesday episode. But as always, you know, previously once before, well, more than once before, when I told you in advance I was going to be out to sea and wasn't going to be able to uh, to, to do uh, an episode on that Wednesday. Of course, I did a pre-recorded one because I knew that was coming. One other time I found myself in the middle of the Rocky Mountains and I think I, my episode is a day late or whatever. So um, I apologize. I won't say it will never happen again. Hopefully it won't because I don't enjoy being that sick. Uh, so... Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you, Leggy. I'm sorry I got your shout out read almost a week late, uh, but thank you for your support and thank you for the education because now I know how to say hello in Luxembourgish. So that is a language I didn't know anything about. And now at least I can say one thing. So uh, Morian to those of you in Luxembourg. And hopefully we will see you again tomorrow for DCA Wednesday when we grow that stack like we did last Wednesday, even though I missed the episode. And the Wednesday after that, and every Wednesday until Bitcoin either goes to the moon, Bitcoin goes to zero, or you just get bored and stop listening. Hopefully, it is only that Bitcoin went to the moon. But until that time, keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers. <laughs>